the battle to save lives and property. Reinforcements arrive as new wildfires spark around BC. I have nobody here, nobody's coming, and they can't tell me what's going on. Resort operators desperate for information as customers flee. Two Vancouver officers stabbed. The cop came out, he had the bloody hand. The 911 call involving a child and what happened to the suspect. And more freedom for Canadians coming home. I think the path on the Canadian side is, is actually quite clear. The new border rules going into effect today. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Wildfires are dramatically impacting the lives of thousands of British Columbians. And although there is some good news, there are still major challenges ahead. Firefighters are making progress in some areas, but the latest BC fire hazard map still paints a pretty bleak picture. The risk across virtually the entire province is rated high or extreme much earlier than usual. Imadagahi begins our coverage tonight with the latest on the progress and the setbacks. Fighting fire with fire. This is a controlled burn to cut the path of the Decca Lake fire southeast of 100 Mile House. Those planned ignitions essentially just burn an area in front of where the wildfire is traveling. Meanwhile, the nearby Canham Lake fire burned on a hillside through the night. We're looking at the eastern side of my mountain that's on fire, basically, and... Uh, They've tried very hard today to put it out, but they weren't able to very well. Our mountain is on fire, and I have no idea what's happening today. Leanne Salenbeck has packed her belongings onto a boat and a truck ready to leave. The fire there putting these areas, the southeast, south, and west side of the lake, now on evacuation alerts, extended to cover more area. The owner of the South Point Resort says lack of clarity on the event caused all her bookings to call and cancel. There's so many sleepless nights, you know, people are nervous. We need to know what's going on. This is our livelihoods, this is my business, this is my home. There are also new fires popping up in the Okanagan. A bushfire near Osoyoos could be seen from nearby properties and it closed the Crow's Nest Highway on Monday. Meanwhile, another fire five clicks northeast of Oliver flaring up Sunday night damaged part of one home while growing from 8 to 45 hectares, but is now contained, bringing relief to those put on an abrupt but brief evacuation. The only thing you can do is be helpless and wait. And we just, you know, thought about the firefighters and everything. But the largest fires in B.C. keep burning. The Sparks Lake fire northeast of Kamloops is now 36,000 hectares. It's neighboring McKay Creek fire north of Lillooet, more than 22,000 hectares, both of which were human-caused, highlighting the gravity of the province's open and campfire bans heading into a fast start to the wildfire season. Emadagahi, Global News. And here is a snapshot of the wildfires burning across our province right now. There are 199 active fires burning in B.C., 46 of them in the last two days. The majority of them, about 70 percent, are lightning caused. And 13 of those fires are considered fires of note, which are highly visible or pose a threat to public safety. 
Now, the RCMP have taken the lead in the investigation into the fire that decimated the town of Lytton and killed at least two people. Our Aaron MacArthur is live near Lytton tonight. Aaron, uh, they are now confirming this one was probably human caused. Yeah, Sophie, investigators are willing to make that leap, saying it's human-caused, but despite eyewitness accounts saying the ignition source was a CN freight train, investigators don't want to quite go that far yet. Six days later, fire trucks still rolling into Lytton. Crews from communities across the province cleaning up the fire that destroyed most of this village. Rail investigators are here too along with representatives from CN. The damage to the rail line clearly visible. And while people in Lytton say the fire was sparked by the train, the RCMP and BC Wildfire Service will only say it's human caused. Part of the reason for the fire might be related to the railway. I can't say definitively and I'm not going to say definitively. We have a process for that in Canada and a proper examination and that's what, that's what needs to be undertaken right now. Evacuees want answers too. Many at this point still processing what happened last Wednesday. So many have lost everything. Yeah, it's just objects and stuff, but no, that, those objects held memories, right? And just to have those memories gone and just so fast, it's just hard. So it's sad. Over the weekend, the coroner confirmed the deaths of two people in Lytton. The RCMP continues to investigate any people still unaccounted for. We pulled right into our grocery store and I noticed houses and the museum and the rest in starting to burn. My boyfriend got out, ran down to his uncle's trailer, kicked his uncle's trailer's door down and got his uncle out because he was sleeping. And by the time he got back, it was so smoky we couldn't see nothing and we had to get out of there as fast as we could. Did you have a chance to grab anything? No. People around BC have stepped up to help the displaced. There is little certainty when they will be able to see the damage firsthand. People are speculating about a tour of the village and the surrounding area, maybe on Wednesday. But so far, there are no answers from anyone with authority to give them. The investigation into the Lytton Creek fire is being led by the RCMP with the support of the BC Wildfire Service. At this time, it is suspected to be human-caused, but that won't be able to be confirmed until the investigation is completed. With nothing to go back to, there are questions about what happens now to the people who call Lytton home. The answers at this point, virtually non-existent. All right, Aaron, where are we when it comes to the size of this fire and the containment of it? Yeah, Sophie, I'll get to that in a minute. I said the bus tour possibly on Wednesday. I just heard back from the Thompson-Nicola Regional District. They're, they are organizing a tour for residents, but likely not Wednesday, only when it's safe to do so. So we'll keep an eye on that, and I'll, and I'll get the latest to our viewers when that happens. But yeah, as to the, the size of this fire, it's burnt through about 7.6 square kilometers since last Wednesday, largely burning now north of Lytton, up in the steep terrain in the valleys. Uh, crews on the ground here are getting some help. According to BC Wildfire Service, 40 firefighters from New Brunswick, that's two unit crews and supervisors, will be on the ground able to assist once they clear the COVID protocols. Back to you. Some much needed help. All right, thanks for that, Aaron.
All right, still waiting for some help from the weather. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us now with the current weather threat for some parts of the province. Yvonne? Yeah, we're watching a severe thunderstorm watch right now. And as we zoom on in, it's for the Kootenai Thompson as well as the Shoe Swap, where we've got a line working its way through. And the potential and the concern, especially over the next few hours, they could become severe. We could see very windy conditions, hail, and with the dry and hot weather, dry lightning is a huge concern. So that's the area that we're watching, especially within the next few hours. And then hopefully that'll start to ease off. As we look ahead towards tomorrow, a bit of a break in terms of the active weather for lightning. It's just the southeastern corners that will see a slight risk for some thunderstorms, but then the concern will pick up once again as we get in towards our Wednesday, and that's we'll see the potential for severe thunderstorms popping up, especially for the southern interior. We've got a smoky skies bulletin. That's what I wanted to show you uh, for many areas across the province, but I'll have that coming when I come back. Chris? All right, we'll check in a little later. Thanks very much, Yvonne. The sudden death toll during the province's one-week heat wave has risen by 58 since initial numbers were released last week. New data from the B.C. Coroner Service reveals a total of 777 deaths were reported from Friday, June 25th through Thursday, July 1st. That's more than three times the number of deaths during the same period last year. Most of the deaths are believed to be heat-related. The majority of victims, older people who lived alone in private residences with minimal ventilation. Two Vancouver police officers are in hospital after being stabbed in a frightening incident in the Strathcona neighborhood. As Jennifer Palmer reports, witnesses say officers were responding after a man grabbed a two-year-old and held the child in a suite. Panic as three officers are injured after responding to an emergency call about a two-year-old child forcibly confined in this Strathcona area apartment building. We came out suddenly, police stormed in, about 30 police and police car, gun was drawn out. I saw a police officer coming out of the building and he had a his cut on his left, his right hand. And it was uh, a lot of blood coming down. Vancouver police say the call came in around 10 a.m. It's not known why the child was forcibly confined. A family member had called police um, to advise that this suspect um, um, had this child, shouldn't be having this child, and, and this child was being forcibly confined uh, with this man in the suite. So um, that's when we got there on scene, we arrived, and, and that's when the struggle ensued. Emergency crews descended on the BC Housing Building at 350 Kiefer Street. Residents tell us it all unfolded in a suite on the eighth floor. Three male officers were injured, two stabbed, and the 59-year-old suspect tasered. But a serious incident like this not only shakes up members in our department, but the policing community as a whole. One officer is in the ICU, the other is expected to be released from hospital today. The other suffering injuries to his hand. All are expected to recover and return to work. The child is back with family and the suspect is in custody in hospital. So far, no charges have been laid. The Independent Investigations Office has been notified. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Abbotsford Police and IHIT are investigating the discovery of a man's body near an Abbotsford Park. The discovery was made just after 5 a.m. in the Clinton Avenue parking lot of Clearbrook Park. Police say foul play is suspected, but the man's identity and cause of death are still being determined. Anyone with information about the victim, what happened, or who the suspects might be is asked to call the IHIT tip line.
Well, we are still a long way from opening the borders, but Canadians and other permanent residents returning home do get new freedoms. How they can avoid the quarantine next on the News Hour. The last of the Surfside condo building crumbles to the ground. Why the rest of the collapsed tower had to come down too. Coming up on the News Hour. And talk about a summer bummer how Vancouver's popular Wreck Beach is being trashed by irresponsible crowds later. Right now, though, some big news tonight for airline passengers. No more hotel quarantine for fully vaccinated travelers entering the country. That applies to citizens, permanent residents and others legally allowed to be here, but only if they can prove they're double vaccinated. Global Sean O'Shea has more on the new exemptions. Flying into Canada for travelers arriving by air, it hasn't been this easy for more than a year. This is progress. As of midnight, fully vaccinated travelers entering the country can avoid quarantine by proving they were vaccinated at least two weeks ago and tested negative before boarding the flight to Canada. It's definitely an ease of mind to know that you're not paying as much and you can see your friends, your family. Those coming in today still had to be tested at the airport. They're supposed to stay home until they get negative results in the next day or so. But compared to a full-blown quarantine, Katerina Cole says this is so much better. Day and night. That's why we came today. She says she's lucky because the government moved up the quarantine program by a day. First, the rules were going to be coming into effect at 11.59, and their passports actually expire today. But for many travelers planning their trips... It's just the confusion because I didn't know if I had to go through the hotel or not. This traveler from Israel says the government arrival app got updated in the last day or so. Only when you land here, we could download, re-download the app, and uh, it was a bit... Weird. He sorted out the confusion, but ethicist Kerry Bowman says others are at a disadvantage. Will be seniors or people that don't have access to easy technology. So that's that's absolutely a consideration. Airport hotels like this one designed to cater exclusively to travelers needing to quarantine will see fewer guests in the days ahead. But even with the new exemptions. Well, unfortunately, I'm not fully vaccinated, but I have to follow the rules and regulations. Many still don't qualify. I have to, I feel the responsibility to go to hotel for three days and quarantine in my home. And there's another broader issue brewing, the lack of standards when it comes to which vaccines are acceptable. If every country says come here or you're welcome to come here, but you have to have one of our vaccines, we're going to have a lot of injustice. Sean O'Shea, Global News. And turning now to COVID-19 numbers, we have three days of numbers to report on. 87 new cases in B.C. over those three days. That brings our total to 147,792, with 652 cases currently active. 85 patients are in hospital, with 22 in the ICU. Sadly, three more people have died from complications of COVID-19. Keith Baldry joins us with more. Keith, when it comes to herd immunity, we're aiming for around 90% of the population mm-hmm. to be vaccinated. So uh, bring us up to date on the data around our vaccination numbers. How close are we get to getting to that number? We are getting closer. And the fact that you and I are discussing COVID-19, I'm giving my daily report this far into the news hours, speaks volumes about what's going on. First, it's not a big story, the wildfires, of course, but also our COVID numbers have been dwindling quite rapidly because our vaccination program has proven so successful. So last week, a record number of doses were administered. Take a look at the numbers. Uh, almost 390,000 people got uh, vaccinated last week. Now, 87% of those doses on any given day are second doses. A very tiny minority, the 13% 
first doses on a daily basis. It turns, uh, translates into our first dose rate increasing by just a little more than one point a week, but our second dose uh, rate is increasing at about eight points a week. What this means is right now we're about 78% with first dose and 36%, uh, just shy of 36% with second dose. We should hit 85% first dose and 85% second dose sometime in the third week of August, perhaps hitting 90% a few weeks after that. But it could be even sooner. We are expected to get more vaccines sooner than we had anticipated. And that means we could go from 400,000 a week to conceivably well more than 500,000 people getting one or second doses a week. That number means that percentages are going to start going north very quickly. So it's very encouraging that our vaccine program has proven so successful. It's driving our COVID numbers down 20 uh, yesterday to today. Lowest number I think we've had in more than a year. It's incredible to see that. And good to see the vaccination program picking up the pace now. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Good to see you in the flesh in the same studio, (laughs) too. Obviously, our confidence is soaring with numbers like that. All right. Straight ahead. When trouble shows up at the front door. He told me, oh, you get these really light shingles. You will be the envy of the neighborhood. An elderly couple never got the new roof they paid for. What happened when Consumer Matters got involved? Also tonight, time to reconnect what TransLink is doing to get you back on mass transit. Still busy for southbound traffic on Highway 1 to the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge after clearing an earlier problem on the Main Street on-ramp. Is buying a home still possible? CIBC Mortgage Advisors will show you how. With a plan unique to your ambition, they'll help find your home. CIBC Mortgage's ambition made real. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. TransLink is launching a new campaign to boost ridership, which is still way down compared to before the pandemic. Now that life is slowly getting back to normal, TransLink is partnering with Destination Vancouver, offering discounts to transit riders for local sightseeing tours, attractions and activities. The transit service has also boosted service to popular destinations around the region, like parks, festivals and fairs. We're doing all we can to encourage customers to get back on transit and to help the economy recover as the restrictions ease across our province. As we see these restrictions ease, people will be using transit to get around, whether it's to rediscover the city um, or reconnect with the people and places they love, or whether it's to go back to post-secondary, to go back to campus or to get back to the offices to work. We expect ridership numbers to follow that as well. In May, TransLink said due to the pandemic, it had lost 52% of its ridership. Well, now that we're officially into summer, it's a popular time to plan a home renovation project. But before you hand over your money to a contractor, you need to make sure you know who you're dealing with. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrew, is here with the Vancouver Couples Roofing Repair Nightmare, Anne. Yeah, nightmare is a bit of an understatement here. Thank you, Chris. Beware of people knocking on your door and offering to make repairs around your home. That's a message from a Vancouver couple who've been waiting close to 10 months to get their full deposit back for work that was never delivered. It was early September when the Morsheks heard a knock at their door. A man from a roofing and construction company offering to repair their roof. He told me, oh, you get these really light shingles, you will be the envy of the neighborhood. Marie and Fritz handed over a $2,500 deposit to Sunset Roofing and Construction. 
So we gave him a check and we never saw him again. The Marshaks say the check was cleared with the work to begin on September 30th, but the couple says the company never showed up. They said they were so busy because it had been raining so much, they were behind, and they gave us another date. That date was October 5th, and again, Sunset Roofing was a no-show, including the rescheduled dates of October 12th and 19th. Maria says she was fed up. Either you do it this time, or you give us the money back. On October 28th, the Morshiks say they called Sunset Roofing to cancel the contract, asking for their deposit back. They say the company agreed to return the full amount of $2,500. You will get your money back, but uh, I give you my word. But that never happened. Sunset Roofing lists Levi Melanson as a co-owner of the company. The Morshiks contract states the Vancouver company has been a member of the Better Business Bureau since 2014. But when Consumer Matters reached out to the BBB, we were told the company was given an F rating. Its membership expelled on October 29th, 2019. Hi, is this Levi? Yep. Back in March, we tracked down Levi Melanson asking about the Morshek's refund. That was a $2,500 deposit in trust. Where did that money go? It went into our bank accounts and got eaten up by uh, bills and payments. And by the time they cancelled and we were able to complete the project, the money was gone. But even after 90 days, the $2,500 was never returned. We called Levi on the same number we called back in March and got this response. The number you have reached is not in service. We finally tracked him down at another number. We started to make payments. We've already issued a $500 payment to their son two weeks ago, and we're in communication with them and consistently making payments now. Well, I just talked to her about two minutes ago, and she hasn't heard from you. A few days later, Maria discovered $500 in her mailbox. The back of the envelope marked part one of the full refund. Yeah, I got money. The Canadian Home Builders Association of BC says when it comes to home renovations of any kind, do your research. Do not rush into a rental project and do not pay money to somebody that's knocking on your door for a renovation job at the spur of the moment. Maria says she's learned a hard lesson, now left waiting for the remaining $2,000 to be returned. If we hadn't uh, contacted you, we wouldn't have seen anything. Now, Sunset Roofing says more money will be returned to the Morsheks in 7 to 10 days, and we, of course, will be following up with Sunset Roofing. Meantime, the Canadian Home Builders Association of BC has a list of accredited home renovators. They suggest interviewing several home contractors so you get a good understanding of who you are dealing with. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks for that, Anne. After a string of record-breaking months, Metro Vancouver's real estate market has cooled down a little bit. The Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver says sales in June fell almost 12% from May. The board says while the intense demand from the spring has fallen off slightly, it is still a seller's market out there. Region-wide, the composite benchmark price for all residential properties is just over $1.1 million dollars up just fractionally from May. However, the sales volume was still more than 18% above the 10-year June sales average. Up next, a plea to stop burning churches. We do not destroy other people's places of religion. First Nation leaders and survivors of residential schools appeal for calm after an incendiary tweet to burn it all down. Also ahead, what Dr. Henry says about getting children younger than 12 vaccinated. 
Good evening. Crews are on scene to a two-car crash here in Surrey, northbound on Scott Road, just before the SkyTrain overpass and King George Boulevard. Welcome to the electric future. Be among the first to reserve the all-new 2022 Bolt EUV or redesigned 2022 Bolt EV. Request your reservation today. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Surrey. Days after a BC human rights leader tweeted, burn it all down in response to news of more Catholic churches being torched, residential school survivors say the destruction and violence must stop. Grace Key has more on their message and why a Vancouver First Nation is increasing security outside its place of worship. Because it's not going to bring back anybody. A group of residential school survivors and their family members are calling on an end to the arson attacks against Catholic churches. This follows the discovery of more unmarked graves at former residential schools. The group points out these hostile acts are spreading. A street ministry in Vancouver's downtown east side was threatened and verbally attacked. We do not spread hate. We love people. We do not destroy other people's places of religion. We're asking for people who are saying these fires to stop now. It's caused other bands to step up security. There's been no direct threat, but after consultation with the Musqueam Indian Band, Vancouver police set up this public safety trailer with cameras at the Catholic Church located on the reserve. What we do have is perceived threats and, and known arsonists in the community and uh, in the surrounding area. And just to mitigate that risk, we wanted to take a step to make sure that um, in the event that there was uh, a risk to us, that um, we had some level of security up. Adding to the tension, the executive director of the BC Civil Liberties Association tweeted, burn it all down, in response to news of more attacks on churches. Harsha Walia has not responded to a request for an interview and her account is now locked. While some, including the Union of BC Indian Chiefs, came to her defense, others have been critical. So when she says burn them all down, that means the Pentecostal church, that means the Salvation Army church, which is doing amazing work in Canada and had nothing to do with residential school. So we had to talk about how this was actually going to affect the relations between Indigenous people and Canadians and how as Indigenous people we don't recommend people to destroy places of worship. And so she said she thanked me for that teaching and then that was it. Residential school survivors are asking for an end to the violence and for healing. It does bring back a lot of memories. Grace Key, Global News. And a BC First Nation is demanding Pope Francis come to Canada to see firsthand the lingering aftermath of the residential school system. The chief of the Klekle Tene First Nation wants the pontiff to visit the residential school sites in BC and Saskatchewan, where the remains of hundreds of children in unmarked graves have now been rediscovered. The Pope has repeatedly rebuffed calls for a formal apology for the church's role in running the schools. He can come visit the crime scenes of the unmarked grave sites at residential schools in BC and Saskatchewan. He can meet the families of the children who were killed, traumatized, while in care of the Catholic Church. He can apologize directly to the families. He can offer financial support for the many ongoing investigations at residential schools. He can finally take responsibility for his church's actions against our children. A group of Canadian Indigenous leaders is scheduled to travel to meet with the Pope at the Vatican in December. It is day 12 of a rescue effort in Surfside, Florida, where 119 people, including four Canadians, are still missing. 27 others are now confirmed dead. 
Overnight, the final piece of the Champlain Tower that loomed over the debris pile was demolished, allowing for more areas to be searched. Global's Reggie Cicchini reports. In the blink of an eye, the remaining part of a collapsed tower vanished from the Surfside skyline. It simply posed too big a risk to searchers' safety. To collapse an entire apartment building is a devastating decision, and the demolition was in no way a decision that I made lightly. By 1 a.m. local time, the ongoing effort to find signs of life resumed to look for survivors or belongings to return to family members. Heavy equipment is now being able to be employed in the rescue effort where before it was not. But demolition, while necessary, also complicates efforts in the quest for answers. We will have to do it from new debris rather than from what's standing in the air. Engineers will be forced to put rubble under analysis to determine what damages and deterioration existed. The first pile was supporting the rest of the building, but now officials believe they could get access to bedrooms where most people were when Champlain Tower collapsed. They really believe that they are going to be able to make, uh, uh, that the identifications will be able to accelerate now that they have access uh, to that. The decision to move quickly was partly driven by the sky. Tropical storm Elsa, which has carved a path of destruction through the Caribbean and put thousands under an evacuation order in Cuba, is creeping towards Florida's west coast. The only remaining potential barrier is dangerous weather, which may or may not occur. Surfside isn't in the ice track, but could feel the impact, and winds could have further destabilized the site. Now, with a larger area to search, even 12 days in, first responders aim to ensure no one is left behind. We have just opened the possibility of search in an area where there may be voids. Providing hope, no matter how it may be fading, for families desperate to get some closure. Reggie Chikini, Global News. As we mark the fifth day of step three in British Columbia's restart plan, there are still many questions around the spread of COVID-19, specifically for children under the age of 12. Richard Zisman spoke ex exclusively with Dr. Bonnie Henry about this issue for the latest episode of Focus BC. Here's a portion of what she had to say about it and her thoughts on how the province has handled the pandemic so far. In terms of children, there are studies ongoing right now in children aged uh, six months up to 12 years. And what we expect to see first is uh, probably age six to, to 12 years and then probably um, six months to, to five years. Um, what we are hearing uh, from Health Canada and others is that those studies are likely not to be the clinical trials won't be done until probably September, October at the earliest. So there is a possibility we'll have uh, vaccines, both Moderna and Pfizer doing these studies uh, for younger children um, in the fall, maybe by the end of this calendar year. Now that we stand here at step three, you know, it's our pandemic, but it seems that we have done much better than many other jurisdictions. Do you feel vindicated in any way considering many of the criticisms that were levied at you over the last 18 months? You know what, I feel very, very proud of our teams. I mean, I absolutely recognize that I'm the, the voice and the face of a, a very strong, committed public health team and health care team in this province. And those teams have expanded, you know, connecting with schools, our workplace safety team and working with WorkSafe and all of the, uh, the work that we've done and all of the different sectors connecting. Those are the things that I'm most proud of. And I think that's what got us through this pandemic. But I will say I feel every single one of the deaths 
not just from COVID, because they highlight where our inequities have been, the, the challenges that we've had in long-term care, and the, the, the huge amount of work we need to do in long-term care. But also, the other thing that strikes me is um, the worsening of our, our toxic drug crises and the, the people we have lost to that crisis. And those are the things that we need to pay attention to now. Still ahead, the seed library. This is mixed mustard greens. An idea that's feeding a growing demand from amateur gardeners. And wrecked beach, the massive pile of garbage left behind at one of Vancouver's most popular parks. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. With the combination of the hot weather and easing of pandemic restrictions, people have been flocking to Vancouver's Rec Beach, but many of them are not bothering to pack out their trash. Take a look at these images shared on social media by Parisa Amini. She says as far as the eye could see, the beach was covered in garbage, everything from empty bottles and cans to discarded clothing and broken chairs. Amini says she spent several hours helping park rangers clean up the beach. She says they filled more than 30 bags with trash and told her and they told her it happens all the time. She hopes these images serve as a reminder to beachgoers to clean up after themselves. Pack it in, pack it out. Exactly. That's always the rule. A lot of junk for a place where not even clothes are necessary, let's be honest. Uh, okay, are you going to want to do any <laughs> Any wreck beach visiting? Any wreck beach visiting in the next little while? It's going to be warm and dry. We've got sunshine across the board. Uh, no real movement, especially across the south coast. But we may actually see a bit of haze across the region, and that's all from the smokes across the interior. Temperatures have bumped up. We're at 24 degrees away from the water with the humidex, though it's feeling closer into the low 30s. A quick snapshot overnight tonight. We'll have a few clouds. By tomorrow, though, 24 is the high, and similar to what we're seeing for today. The Severe thunderstorm watch has ended, but we're still seeing some thunderstorms rolling through. East Kootenai is included within that, but the thunderstorms are easing off for this evening, and then it's the southeastern corners that may see a slight chance for tomorrow. We still do have a heat warning that is in effect the following areas that are red, with temperatures still scorching into the low 30s and the overnight lows between 16 or 17 and 20 degrees, and the smoky skies bulletin that's in grey, blanketing much of the province. If you do have respiratory issues, you're advised to limit the amount of time spent outdoors if possible. Now, for the northern half of the province, it's inland tomorrow. Temperatures getting closer to 30 degrees, a slight risk of a thunderstorm for areas near Fort Nelson. Much of the central interior tomorrow, a bit of a break from the active weather and the instability, but it is going to pick up on Wednesday, so a heads up. Southeastern corners, that's where you could see that slight risk. It's still going to be another hot day across the southern half tomorrow, low 30s, and it's really the overnight lows. That's why the heat warning is still in effect. Most areas along the south coast tomorrow will see that range in temperatures between 24 and up to 27 degrees. It'll be away from the water. A bit more cloud cover is going to roll in on Thursday, but still remaining dry, and then we'll rebound. We're back into plenty of sunshine leading in towards our Friday. Saturday, tonight's weather window, a gorgeous shot, very calming. Summit Lake, this one captured by Andy. Guys? Gorgeous. Thank you, Yvonne. All right, Squire is there, as you can tell, with a look ahead to sports. Big night for the Montreal Canadiens. Yes, they're hanging in there. Mm -hmm. They have to win four in a row. It won't be easy, but if you're going to win four in a row, you have to win game four first. Uh, at the NCAA Championships, Richmond's Cameron Rogers wanted to break the uh, collegiate hammer throw record, and she did. We, we managed to make that happen, 
and it's just incredible. That puts her on the path to Tokyo, where she'll throw against the world's best for Canada. That is incredible. Also tonight, the seed of an idea at a library that holds much more than books. It is nice to see the two of you. Look at that. person. You have been seconded to another <laughs> studio for a long time. It's nice to have you back in the back room. Back in. This is like the old days. Yeah. I like close. the old days. <laughs> Slowly, we'll get there again. And Excellent. then the next step will be closing be, this space. Yeah. And then I'll get a spot there, maybe. <laughs> get my old spot back. One All day. right. Okay, so uh, a quarter of the Wimbledon men's quarterfinals is from Canada. Today, both Denis Shapovalov and Felix Ogialiasim see their buddies. They beat higher-ranked opponents to make the final eight. And the good news is they are on opposite sides of the draw. So if they could keep this role going, we could have an all-Canadian final at Wimbledon. I know it's a big long shot, but sometimes long shots hit. Let's begin with Shapovalov taking on number eight, Roberto Bautista Agut and... Okay, if you're an average or below average tennis player, never try this because you're going to hurt yourself and it's going to be embarrassing. But if you're Denis Shapovalov, you can go tweener between the legs like that and then make the following backhand winner like that. He dominated this match today. There was no question who was going to win. Look at that backhand he's pulling off there. Incredible. 2-0. 6-5. That's an ace to finish it. He had 15. So he will take on Karen Kachanov in the quarterfinals. Now over to uh, Felix Ojealiasim taking on number four, Alex Verev. And Felix won the first two sets. Verev came back to tie it 2-2. But in the fifth set, Ojealiasim got his game back together. This is match point. And he's going to the quarters. And he is obviously happy about it. It's, it's, a, it's a dream come true, you know, it's unbelievable. Uh, you dream of moments like this as a kid, you know, I'm a, I'm a normal guy from, uh, from Montreal, Canada, and, and you know, here I am. Court one, packed, Wimbledon, I mean, surely the, the best victory of my life so far. This Friday, the Vancouver Canucks will tell us the nickname of their farm team in Abbotsford. Also, they'll reveal the logo and the uniform colors. I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess, the nickname might have something to do with airplanes or pilots. Something like that. How about aviators? Maybe just the Abbotsford pilots. But please... Do not call them the Abbotsford Canucks. Give them their own identity. All right. They brought out the ghosts who are still alive. Patrick Waugh, Guy Lafleur, Ivan Cornway to help Montreal win game four. And Carey Price seems to be back in form, making a couple of nice saves there off Blake Coleman. Montreal needs to score the first goal. That's when they win. And that's when the Lightning usually lose if they don't score the first goal. And guess who scores the first goal? Montreal, Josh Anderson. 
And it's 1-0 in the second period for the Habs. No, I've been told it's now 1-1. Just happened. Okay. Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets netminder Matisse Kivlenix died Sunday night in Michigan when he was hit in the chest by an errant fireworks blast. Apparently, one of the fireworks tilted slightly and began firing into people, hitting Kivlenix, who was only 24 years old, and played two games for Columbus this season. Richmond's Cameron Rogers says that throwing a steel ball at the end of a wire is not the most conventional thing to do, but she loves it and it loves her. The moment she started throwing the hammer, she was destined for the Olympics, especially after laying down some of the longest throws we have seen in the world this year at the NCAA championships. Right now in North America, there is nobody at the collegiate level who can compete with Cameron Rogers. Rogers setting the NCAA hammer record a couple weeks back with a monstrous heave of 75.52 meters. Oh my gosh, it was just incredible, you know, because you work so hard uh, for so long and we came into it with goals and we came into it with certain objectives that we wanted to achieve and we we managed to make that happen and it's just incredible it's just wonderful cameron's now won back-to-back ncaa championships her steady rise to the top of ncaa athletics beginning years ago at home in richmond when she first joined the kjax track and field club the late richard collier was her first coach followed up by his son garrett the first day that i started track it was january 5th 2012. It was so last minute. I had never done a sport before. And I just thought to myself, this is so cool. Who does this? You know, I had never really heard of hammer throw before or really seen it. And of course, now when I tell people I do hammer throw, they go, oh, I think I've seen that on TV. Or like, I think I've seen that in the Olympics once. But it's not something you really get to see in person all the time. The one person who's witnessed Cameron become a Canadian record holder, Pan Am Games junior gold medalist, and world junior champion is her mother, Sherry. Mom's been around for every plaque, trophy, and medals won by her daughter, all the while supporting her child as a single parent. It's been an Olympian effort by Mom, one full of sacrifices, and Sherry wouldn't have it any other way. She inspires me every day. She inspires me every single day. And she would probably go, oh, yeah, whatever, Mom. But, you know, she does. In a lot of ways, she's my hero, you know? Like, I, when I think about what she's doing and if I ever need a source of input or a bit of inspiration, I just think about what she does every day. Representing her country and proudly wearing Team Canada colors, just the latest accomplishment for the 22-year-old who's double majoring at school as the plan is to become an environmental lawyer. But first, the goal in front of her, the Olympics and once again making mom proud. I just can't think of a better person to teach me these values and these ideals and to see it in action over years. You know, I don't even know how I could ever repay her for all of that. Nice story. I will have to say this. Those guys who stand in the field and wait for the ball to drop and to measure how far it went, those guys got a lot of guts. No kidding. <laughs> because got- how much does the thing weigh? 16 pounds. It's, they got to be paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Crazy. Thanks, Squar. Up next, a group of gardeners hoping to cultivate a whole new community of growers. A lot of people have taken up gardening during the pandemic. And now some veteran gardeners in Calgary are making sure others can sow the seeds from what they've grown. Here's Gil Tucker. 
lifting the lid on something big. In here we have some fava beans. Planting the seeds for something new in Calgary. Stocking the shelves for a free seed library. It will get moved into envelopes to be exchanged. Donated seeds for all kinds of things. Coriander, tomatoes, radishes. All from plants grown locally. An idea whose time has come. A lot of people spending time at home over the pandemic got really excited about growing more, having more control over the, their own food, being an interest in gardening, and this is sort of that next step. Taking it in a suitable setting. Chard, a poppy, uh, some sprouts and some different kinds of seeds, and the robin and the worm, they're also a big part of gardens. These mural artists are among 30 volunteers involved in getting the seed library going. And it's community driven and it's a bunch of different people coming together to grow something brighter for the future. Coming together in a space donated by this independent bookstore. Really big on community building and uh, I love gardening. It's just nice to, to know that you can go somewhere and you know get what you need for free. Inviting gardeners to donate whatever they're growing. This is mixed mustard greens. Planning to start exchanging seeds this fall, hoping that going local all the way will help give Calgary gardeners the edge they need. We live in such a challenging place to grow. We're under that Chinook arch. We get really intense weather. So the more seasons that seed has spent in our local environment, the better it's going to do. Looking forward to sharing all the good things that'll get their start here. Peppers, potatoes, garlic, all sorts of herbs. Gil Tucker, Global News. It's going to be a good salad someday. All right, Vancouver also has a grassroots network of seed libraries, and you can visit vancouverfoodnetworks.com that's their website if you'd like more information just watch for the spiders right <laughs> as you know very well mm -hmm. all right uh final word on the weather with yvonne good gardening weather yeah because it's a bit more pleasant more comfortable out there it's going to be dry over the next few days we may have cloud cover on thursday but so far uh dry conditions and temperatures warm tomorrow away from the water into the low 30s feels like update in the stanley cup one 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 third period to go all right, thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.